morning, and it's just us. So Ephesians 6, if you will, verse number 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And again, as we've come through the, this passage, we're going to do the call to arms part two. And then next week we'll do some different things and kind of move away uh, from this section, but not from the book of Ephesians. We're not really studying Ephesians. I, I wanted to come in and look at the issue of what a spirit-filled life looked like, starting there in verse 18, where the spirit of life, where, where he says, be, uh, uh, be not drunk with wine where it is in excess, but be filled with the spirit. And that issue of a spirit-filled life of the believer, and what does it look like? What, how, does it, how is it to look in your life? And what is it to have your life under the control and the grip of the love of God and the grace of God and the word of God working and energizing in your inner man? What does that look like? How does that function in you? And, and Paul starts, first it's in the individual, that, that wonderful issue of freedom. <laughs> Next week is the 4th of July. It's actually on Sunday. And so I'm going to talk about freedom. And the God of the Bible, your creator, your redeemer, loves freedom. And he says, you have freedom. So in the individual, let's make a choice. And you have that. So here as an individual, I'm going to choose to have the spirit-filled life, the spirit grip my life, the spirit using the word of God, taking the word and energizing my inner man so that my life is going to be lived how God would have me live my life. That's what I'm going to do. That's going to look like in different realms than, and he says, in marriage. So if you're married... This is what it's going to look like. By the way, if you're single, this is what it's going to look like, 1 Corinthians 7, okay? If you're, then if you're married, you're going to have a kids, you're going to have a family. So this is what the family dynamic looks like. And then if you've got a family, then you've got to work to provide for what you've got going on. So here's what it's going to look like out in the world and on the job. And Paul gets to the end of that section in chapter 6, and he says, finally, my brethren. And so he brings us all back, my brethren. He takes us into these individual setups, but he brings us all back collectively now. And he says, I want to conclude the section about spirit-filled life by introducing you now, verse 11, to the warfare that's coming your way. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. There is a warfare. So when he says finally, he's concluding the spirit-filled section, but he's also concluding the book as he begins to talk about the warfare and the armor and the equipping and the capacity that we have and who we are in Christ that we've been learning about and actually that you do learn all through the book of Ephesians. The attack of the adversary does come. Because he doesn't like what God's doing. So if you've chosen to live your life the way God would have you live in your life, everybody's lives are different. We have different pulls, interests, things going on, work, everything. But in those circumstances of life, I can live as who I am in Christ. We're all at different stages of life. Some are just beginning. Some have been in it for a long enough time to say, Uncle, I'm done, you know. Stop the world and let me get off, as the song would say. So we, we are different. But how does it look in, these li- in our lives? When you do that, you know what the adversary does? He don't like it. And he's going to attack. But in verse 10, there's two issues to catch before we get into the armor and to the attack, if you will. And he says, first of all, you need to be strong in the Lord. And then secondly, and in the power of 
of his might. And last week, we looked at that first issue of being strong in the Lord. Our strength, your strength, comes from the grace and love of God. That's where it comes from. It doesn't come from your capacity, really, at all. Hold on here and look over with me to, to uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 15. There's a wonderful verse here. Um, in, in September, I get to go teach at a Bible conference in, 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 uh, in Minnesota in the Twin Cities area, and my topic, one of my topics is about the judgment seat of Christ. And, and it's an interesting thing here. In, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 10, not, not really in 1 Corinthians 15 in about the judgment seat, but when you think about our strength comes from him, his grace, his love, not mine. Not by works of righteousness are we saved. It's not by me. Paul says this, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. Now, that ought to be enough. You are what you are by what? The grace of God. And his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain. So here I am. I'm here because of the grace of God. And the grace of God, it was bestowed upon me, is not in vain. Vain, empty, worthless. It actually worked. It's actually moving Paul. It's causing him to labor, to do some activity. But I labored more abundantly than they all. Now, when you labor, what do you do? You work. You're out working. You're out doing. You're out seeing people get saved. You're out seeing people come to the knowledge of the truth. Or you're just being who you are in the roles that you're in. If you're single, you're in this role. If you're married, you've got family, you're working, you're doing, you are living, you're walking by faith in the grace of God. It's impact your life. Then he says, yet what? Not I. Paul says, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I. Paul's quickly to remind us that it's, well, he says it, but the grace of God which was with me. He's quick to remind you. He says, not I, but Christ, what, liveth in me. It's not you. You check out. By the way, you know why you check out? Because Romans 6 said you did. Romans 6 said your old man died with him at Calvary, was crucified with him. That's identity. I think some of the greatest problems that people have, come back to Romans 6, with understanding this is they don't understand their identity. What has Romans 6 said? The old man has been crucified. So guess what? The not I is done. So if I'm thinking i got to go do this so that I can gain and get, then what happened? I resurrected the dead man. See? i got problems now. But if I sit over here and I say, you know what, I'm going to go, I, I by my freedom, my will, my volition, choose to live this way. Now it's not I, but who? But Christ. See? Now that decision that I made to have in my life is different. And you know what he says? Your strength, be strong in the Lord, comes from the grace of God. And in order to get through life, your capacity to get through the details of life, to endure the things of life, to, to put up with, to respond, and react, comes from the grace of God. Because if we had to deal with it on our own, we'd have checked out a long time ago. You look at the world around you. 
and how people check out and what they do. They go chase a little pill or a little drug or this, or they commit suicide, the, to, the two extremes. You see, folks, this comes from, come, you're in Ephesians 6. The sec, this comes from an understanding of who you are in Christ. That's the issue. Our situation, our circumstances in life never change who you are in Christ. It never changes that. Who we are in Christ is who we are forever. That's who we are. Now, in Ephesians 1, we looked last time at the be strong in the Lord. Today, we're going to look at and the power of his might. And in Ephesians 1, we started. We went down through the first 14 verses. And we looked at the issue, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, the Father, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. And we begin to walk down through the section in Ephesians 1. By the way, Ephesians 1 is in two sections. First section, be strong in the Lord. Second section, and in the power of his might. So when you get to 610, what have you already learned? Chapter 1, so you're already there. Now, we didn't learn that. We haven't studied it in, in that issue here. But it's right here. Paul is not telling you in 610 to do something that he has not already educated you in. Where am I going to be strong? In the Lord and who I am in Christ, in the grace of God and his grace, his riches to me. The Father is going to do something, the first seven verses. Verse 8, wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom. I'm, I'm sorry, in verse 7. Verse 7, in whom ye, in whom, well, that's Christ, there's the Son. We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. There's what the son's going to do. What's the son going to do for you? He's going to forgive you. He's going to redeem you. He's going to set you so. And then in verse 13, you've got the activity of the Holy Spirit. What's he going to do? In whom ye also trusted after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with, the Father's going to seal you with, the Holy Spirit of promise. What's he going to do? He's the earnest of our inheritance under the redemption of the purchased possession under the praise of his glory. What's he going to do? He seals the deal and says it's going to be done. That's who I am. That's where I'm going to get my strength is right there in the Godhead. By the way, the whole of the Godhead is dwelled, is involved with you, intricately there with you, indwells you. By the way, Romans, or, uh, Ephesians 1, verse 3 to 7, is a review of what you should have already learned in Romans, especially in Romans 6, 7, and 8, the identification truths. Look at verse 8. Wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will. Look at that. He's going he's to talk now about a great mystery. And it's the mystery of the Father's will. And the Father had an eternal plan for his creation. He had a will. He had a plan. And he says, now it's going to... He's having made known unto us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself, that, here it is, in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. The great plan of God in creation, the Godhead, before the foundation of the world. Proverbs, talking about creation in Proverbs 
Wisdom says, I was there before. I was on the blueprint on the table before he ever said a word. Now, that's the RJ version of it, okay? But you go read over there where wisdom speaks and where wisdom is going to do and where wisdom is going to say. And you know what he says? By the way, in, in Genesis 1, when God says, does something, and then he says, it is good, he doesn't say it's good in that it's, wow, that was a good thing I just did. He says it's good in that it matched the blueprint, the building, the design, the master builder here. It's good because it matches what's to be done. And you know what the Father says through the Apostle Paul to you and I, to the church, the body of Christ, to then to the nation of Israel as they're going to learn and see this and be a part of, of that that universal reconciliation, restoration program, he says, I've made known the Father's will. So if you ever hear someone say, I don't, I don't know the will of God for my life, they haven't read their Bible. They're reading books about their Bible. And they're listening to people talk about the Bible. They have Because what's that verse 9 say? It's been made known. We can under, For us to be able to understand the big picture... He's revealed his will. There's no longer a secret will. It's all been made known. And his plan is to bring creation back under the headship of his son. In the earth, he's going to use his nation, the nation of Israel. In the heavenly places, the heavens, he's going to use the church, the body of Christ. And we're a part of that. If you're in Christ, then guess what? You're in the plan. You're in a program. If you're not in Christ, you're not in the plan. It's that simple. You're in trouble, is right. Notice verse 6. Just notice some things here. Notice verse 6. To the praise of the glory of his grace. Verse 12. That we should be to the Praise of his glory, who first trusted in Christ. Verse 14, which is the earnest of our inheritance unto the redemption of the purchased possession, unto the praise of his glory. Do you think that this is all about praise of his glory? Every, every step of the way it is. Now in verse 15, Paul's going to switch over. He's going to shift gears. Truck's still moving. We're just throwing it in overdrive now. And he's going to move us over to the power of his might. Verse 15. Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. And he's going to switch now. He's going to move. You see who you are? You see where your strength is? Now watch his power. Look at his might. Watch what he's going to do with you. He's going to pray for them. Cease not to give, to give thanks and to mention you in my prayers. Think about that. He just taught them. 1 to 14. Now he's going to pray for them. The word, the preaching of the word, the teaching of the word, and prayer go hand in hand. We understand what prayer is. It's just simply talking to the Father about the circumstances of life and how to take His Word and apply it to those details. Philippians 4. Look over there. Philippians 4. 
Look at verse 6. A great verse, an instructive verse. By the way, the Ephesians 1 prayer is the first one of five prayers that Paul teaches adults in the church, the body of Christ, how to pray. Now, Paul prayed all the time. It's just not the only time he prayed in those five. But he says, hey, when you pray, this is what you ought to be praying for. You know what we pray for? We pray like God's a big vending machine in the sky, and we jump enough faith quarters in there, he'll give it to us. Oh, Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're perfect. No. what? Hey, fix this. Move this. He's not doing that. Look at Philippians 4, verse 6. Be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. What? Let your requests be made known unto God. That, ain't no cl- that is clear as the nose is on your face that you know what I can do? I can, I can come and I can talk to God and I can make my requests known and it can be about anything. But what's the answer going to be? 1 Corinthians 12, verse number 9, And he said unto me, what the answer is going to be in the Word. I can make my request known, and I can come over here. By the way, are you still in Philippians 4? Okay, good, because I'm not, but you need to be. Look at the next verse. Look at verse 7. And the, what? Peace of God. Not peace with God, but the peace of God. His peace. The Lord looks at those apostles, and he says, Peace I give you, peace I live with you, my peace. His peace. What's his peace? It beats your peace every day. But that the peace of God would what? Which passeth all understanding shall keep. Isn't that interesting? Keep. Come along and protect. Solidify. Cause it to have roots down in the ground. Keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. That's your inner man, your heart, you, your soul, your mind, your thinking, your, your spirit. Keep the totality of your inner man. There's the, there's the answer. You, so you make your quest known. What are you looking for? Well, right now I'm looking for a new truck to drop out of the sky and land on my head. That or a wheelbarrow full of f- about 50K. That's what they cost. I've been looking at used stuff, and I tell you what, buying new is cheaper than buying used almost. It's crazy. And I'm sitting there going, I could just 50 $1,000 bills, Lord, that's all we need. For what? For a truck. Well, that was back then. <laughs> it isn't that way today. But see, the thing is, is, no, what do you say? All right, what does the word say? What's the word say unto me? I need a new truck. What's the word say to me? Get a job. Go to work. Provide for, you don't provide, do it. And I'm like, all right, well, I am working. Well, Dave Ramsey and those guys say, ask for a pay raise. I'm already topped out. Then get another job. I'm like, wait a minute, that's going to take away. So now what am I doing? Is it expedient? Is it putting me in bondage? What's going on? Because every financial decision you make is a spiritual decision. Because when you get yourself strapped financially, then spiritually, in the spiritual issues, you can't go and do some things. So now it's adjustment. Now you've got to think this thing through and work it out and, and keep the Speaker of the House and the Finance Department on the right side, you know, <laughs> and everything. You see, but what do you do when you pray? What, and he said unto me, what's his word say? It doesn't say it's not right for you to have a new truck. 
or whatever, he says, hey, is it? And then he walks you through. The scripture has all of the answers. Go back to Ephesians 1. We've got to get going here. What did Paul just teach them in the first 14 verses? Then he says, now go talk to God about what, whatever the situation is. But when you talk to him, do it in light of what you just learned in the first 14 verses. Do it that way. By the way, when Paul writes this, you know where Paul is? He's in jail. You know that Paul never wrote and asked the Lord, prayed to the Lord to deliver him from jail or from the circumstance? Now, he talks about other guys periodically about help, you know, but he never begged for getting out. Now, but did the Lord deliver Paul from jail? Yeah, the Philippian jailer. He did. He could, but that's not... Why? In my situation, in the circumstance, I need to figure out what he said to me and then apply that, his word, to that situation. And you know what? And if I don't know what his word says, there's a great verse that says, study. Get in there and dig it in. Get in there and find the answers. The answers is in the scripture. And when I find that answer, then I take that answer and I apply it to the details of my life. And when I do that... Not only am I standing strong in the Lord, but I'm also learning about the power of his might. Verse 17. Notice what Paul prays for them. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, will give you a new 2021 Tundra Toyota. He doesn't say that, does he? No, it's in his, okay. He, he says what? That the Lord, that the Father of glory may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. Notice that verse carefully. That, here's what I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you not to be delivered from it, but in the situation that the Father of glory, look at the Father of glory, Father, the one who gives life, the one who thought up of all of this. The one who sat there and said, this is what we're going to do. And you know what? I got a plan. And I got a purpose. And you know what I'm going to call it? I'm going to call it glory. The father of glory. And here's the plan. And the plan now is what Paul's going to talk about the rest of the chapter. The power of his might. Here's the plan. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to call it glory. Power. Verse 18, in the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope. See that ye may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world but also in that which is to come, and hath put all things under his feet and given him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Paul is going to lay out here the power of his might and the plan and your inclusion your participation in it. When he talks there about power, his power, that exceeding greatness of his 
power and his mighty power. When you think about that word power, principalities, power, might, those governmental uh, levels, power carries two definitions to it. One is, is that of authority, to do something. A judge in a courtroom has authority, has a power to render a verdict. But that judge doesn't have the power to go get the money from the verdict. He just says, I have the authority, you owe ten bucks. The power in the second one is that, that ability to go do what? Get the ten dollars. Who has that authority? The sheriff does. But a sheriff, so if, if you think about small claims court, I've been there a couple times. I win the judgment. You owe me 10 bucks. Great, thank you, judge. Who's going to collect that? So I have to go over and I got to get the constable, at the time he was a constable, sheriff, deputy, to go do what? Collect the $10. Do you know that sheriff does not have the authority to say you owe $10? He only has the power, the ability to do what? Collect it. Follow that? That's what's going on here. Power. Romans 13, Paul talking about the government being subject to powers, authority. That's what Paul's dealing with. We've, he's got the authority to do it, but guess what he also has? The ability to collect. He's got them both. And you and I are part of that. Verse 17 that uh, he'd give unto you the spirit of wisdom and the revelation of who? Him. Who? The Father of glory. The Lord Jesus Christ. The whole plan. He wants to enlighten you. That the eyes of your understanding being what? Enlightened. You ever have a moment when the light comes on? Whoa, look at that. There it is. That's enlightenment. When he talks there about having the spirit of wisdom, he's not talking about you getting the Holy Spirit. You already have the Holy Spirit, verse 13 and 14. The spirit there is, an, is, a, is that of the issue of an attitude. Proverbs, he talks about the spirit of slumberness. See, spirit, attitude. You ever know someone who's got a, 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 a bad attitude? contentious and they have a bad spirit about them you ever run into someone who's kind of cocky arrogant and you say man they got a rough spirit about them? that's what he's talking about there's an attitude that comes from having verse 8 wherein he is abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence Verse 17, he's given us the spirit of wisdom and the revelation and the knowledge of him than the eyes of your understanding. So there's an attitude that comes with wisdom and understanding and knowledge. There's an attitude that comes from that, that not, I shouldn't say attitude, a confidence, an assurance. When you and I, have, we have the revelation of God's truth and what He's doing and the wisdom it's designed to give to us, and that gives us an attitude, not of superiority. Right division is a great thing in that people sometimes use it in that we know more than you know because we know how to rightly divide the word. And you know what that attitude will get you? Nothing. It'll get you hurt. Rather, what does right division allow you to have? 
a spirit of confidence that you know what God's saying to you. And you don't use it to beat somebody over the head with it. You go use it to help them. You see, we got the right message. We just got to do it with the right spirit. We got the right message from the right book, and we have to have the right spirit about it. See? And when you don't have the right spirit, it doesn't matter if you got the right message or book, because what's everybody focusing on? That idiot just beat me. He was mean. He was rude. He was, and, and it's like, you know, see, you got to have your speech seasoned with salt, grace. Why? We have, an, we have an understanding. God's given us wisdom and prudence. I love prudence. That word prudence is a wonder. Look behind the scene. Wisdom says, here's what's going on. Knowledge says, here's what's going on. Wisdom is using that knowledge to understand what's happening behind the scene. Prudence. Look underneath. Paul says, man, you take that wisdom and that revelation of the knowledge of him. Knowledge of him. And that will give you a heart of confidence and a, and, a, and a heart of understanding that will impact you. Verse 18, he says, that ye may know. Folks, you understand your Christian life will never, never operate on the basis of ignorance. We are to know. And that's the key in our Christian lives. That reminds me to say, read three chapters a day. I tell you what, the time you spend reading God's Word is never a waste of time. Now, you'll waste your time watching TV or on Facebook, social media. You know how you know how I know? I waste my time there from time to time. But man, when you get your nose in this book and you read three chapters of Paul's epistles every day, read through that whole 13 epistles in, in 28 days or whatever it is for you, you know what? You didn't waste time. This is June. If you've been doing it six months, you've already read it six times. Your life will be transformed after the first couple months. Because you know what you'll be thinking like? Like this instead of like, you know, the news people and all that other mess out there. Now watch him do it in verse 18. Watch him lay out the glory plan. Watch him just put all this out there for you. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened. Uh, by the way, on that note, look over chapter 3. Chapter 3 is, is the second prayer in, in Ephesians. That Paul prays there, verse 15, of, of whom the whole, or, or verse 14, for this cause I bow my knees unto the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom. But look at verse 17. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love, Notice, may be able to, what? Comprehend. With who? All saints. This is for everybody to understand. What is the breadth, the length, the depth, and the height, and to know the love. See that? Know. Which passes knowledge that ye, might, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. You see, comprehend. I want you to be enlightened. 118. That ye may know what is the first issue. The hope of his calling, not your calling. It's his calling. You see, there, the Lord has a hope. The Father has a hope, a prospect here of something that should thrill your soul as much as it thrills the Father. And that's about what, what he's chosen to do in his Son. 
You know, God the Father looks at his son and says, you're my beloved. I love you. Then he looks at you and I and says, you ought to love my son the way I love my son. Because look at what he did for you. And when you love the son the way the father loves, then this stuff thrills your heart. You don't, I, 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 you know, you read these and you go, man, what in the world? Is he? And you begin to dig and study and work it out. And you know what? I still don't understand all of it. You know, peel back an onion, get in there and peel back another. And it's like, oh my goodness, it just gets deeper and deeper and deeper. And then I'm like, man, if I share this with people, they're going to think I'm nuts. So I'm sharing with you anyway, because I'm nuts. But it, what it does is it begins to throw it. And he says, look, it's a hope of his calling. There's a prospect here about what God's going to do, and he's what he's chosen to do. Second point, and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance. Where? And say, whose inheritance? His. Now, you have an inheritance, verse 11 and 12. you got that joint heirship with Christ, and you're going to inherit that stuff. But this is his inheritance in you. We are wealthy in Christ. We're valuable. The riches. Boy, it's his riches. And he looks at you and says, oh, you're mine. And you go, man, I I stink like a dirty, rotten sinner. And he goes, oh, no, you're in my son. You're mine. And then verse 19, the third one there, is that exceeding greatness of his power. The hope of his calling. It focuses in on his son. And if you are in Christ, you have become his focus. His Follow that. His focus is Christ. Where are you? In his son. So you're his focus. His inheritance in the saints. He, what is he going to inherit? Think about what the son's inheriting. Ephesians 1, verse 10. He's inheriting the authority of the universe, isn't he? The government structure of the universe. Who's going to rule it? He is going to inherit that universe through who? His saints. His inheritance where? In the saints. Israel on the na- in the earth, you and I in the heavens. We're part of that program. We're part of the program and the plan called glory to make the Lord Jesus Christ the head over all the universe. And I'll be honest with you, it's critical to get that and to see this. The greatness of his power to usward who believe. There, here it is. According to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead. And set him. So you got two parts. You want to see the exceeding greatness of his power, the power of his might? Where are you going to look to? Calvary, the cross. The standard of power for us today in the age of grace is Calvary. Okay? The standard of power for us today is Calvary. Do you know what the standard of power for Israel was? Egypt and the Exodus. Think about that. 
Moses looks at Israel and says, Israel, you got to put the blood on the doorpost. You got blood on the doorpost, you're going to be delivered by blood. Who chased them? Pharaoh did. Moses parts that Red Sea. Israel goes across on dry ground. Critical to remember. Then when Pharaoh and his guys in there, the, the ground college up, and they'll kill. And Moses says, see your salvation by blood and by power. See it. What had God done to Egypt prior to that? He had defeated the ten gods of Egypt, the ten gods of the satanic policy of evil, and he did it by power. So Israel's standard of power is the exodus. It's being delivered when he delivers them out of Egypt, destroys the gods of Egypt, and destroys the Pharaoh, and then he delivers them by blood and by power. But for you and I, it's Calvary. Come over to Colossians. Colossians chapter 2. For us today, Calvary, when he died, he died and he delivered us from the power of sin and the power of death. And it's all a done deal because the Father raised him from the dead. That's our power today. And if you live a defeated life, it's because you chose to live a defeated life. Because he says you ought to be victorious. You know why? Because you are. Colossians chapter 2, look at verse number 14. Blotting out the handwriting of an ordinance that was against us, which were contrary to us, took it out of the way, nailing it to his, what? Cross. And... Having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it, the cross. What did he do? He defeated Satan's plan, didn't he? 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul says, we speak in the wisdom of God. And you know what? It was the hidden wisdom of God, and it was kept hidden, because if it had been made known, by the way, if it had been made known, if Jesus Christ in his earthly ministry had ever taught anything given to the Apostle Paul, the adversary would have heard it and would have never crucified the Lord of glory. If Peter and the boys had ever taught anything given to Paul, the adversary would have heard it and never crucified the Lord of glory. You know how I know? The Word of God, based on 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 7 and 8, says so. I don't care what anybody says, those verses say it was a mystery and it was kept secret because if it had been known, Satan and the boys would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So you can take that and put it in your pipe and smoke it for a while. Figure that stuff out. Where did I tell you to go? Go back to Ephesians 1. I get off my step a minute here. I have power in dwelling in me I have the same power in me. I can stand in the same power that raised the Son of God up from the dead, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Not because I'm so special. I'm just another bump on the dill pickle. I am special because I am in Christ. And, verse 20, set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. Set him. Installed set. He didn't go sit. The word is set. The Father says, this is your rightful position. Because of Calvary, because of your faith to go and do what needed to be done, your faithfulness, the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself, I'm going to set you right here. That's the plan. That's what we're going to do. Far above. That means the, all the principalities, powers, and mights, and dominions, and thrones, and every other name that's named. You know what they are? They're under his feet. He's far above all of that. Notice the positioning here. He takes him and puts him up above. All of that structure. You go in Revelation 4 and Revelation 5 and you read about the throne room activity there and those 24 elders come and they lay their crowns at his feet and they say, worthy is the lamb that was slain before the foundation. He's worthy to be in charge. He's the rightful king of the universe. That's where we're at. That's the power of his might. He, raised, he set him. Now, look down at chapter 2, verse 6. And hath raised us up together. By the way, together. Joint heir. And made us, what? Sit together. Isn't that wonderful? In heavenly places, in Christ Jesus. We share in the authority that God the Father gave His Son in the heavenly places as He sits over those, all those governmental positions. You see, God the Father, come over to Colossians 1, had a plan to restore all of that governmental structure in the heaven and in the earth back under the headship of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's, by the way, that's why in Colossians 2, you, in Colossians 1, look at Colossians 2. In verse 15, who did he spoil? And having spoiled who? Principality and powers. There's that spiritual wickedness in high places. If you spoil, that means you defeated them. That means they were your enemy. They were contrary to you. They were an adversary. He defeats them. The Father, by the way, where did he defeat them? At the cross. By the cross. Because of the cross. <laughs> the Father sets him and says, all that is now yours. That's Colossians 1. That's the plan. What did he, when he created the universe, back there in Genesis 1-1, I know we run there, created heaven and earth, and we try to, sometimes we try to get our doctrine out of, on that stuff out of Genesis 1, but man, Job and Psalms and Isaiah, they have so much information there. Psalms does, Amos about the stories in heaven and all these, not stories as in 
fables and that kind of, but stories as in floors and structure. Colossians 1, look at verse 13. Who hath delivered us from the, what? Power of darkness. Where to stand fast, where to be finally my brother and be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. He's delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. We're fixed, we're right there, we're justified, we're declared righteous, and what does he take us? He takes us and he sits us together with him in the heavenly places. He puts us there. He says, that's where you belong. You belong. By the way, that word kingdom denotes authority and government and rule and reign. Your job is right there. Verse 22. Colossians 1.22. No, sorry. Ephesians 1.22. Colossians doesn't get it. Ephesians 1.22. Go back there quickly here. Time's up. Well, time's never up, but time's up. Verse 21, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. Paul, The Holy Spirit, through the pen of Paul, uses terms. In Colossians 1, he talks about thrones and dominions that you and I can understand and we can relate to. We understand what a principality is. We understand what a power is. We understand what a throne is. And he says, you see that here now? That's what's out there coming your way. And hath put, verse 22, and hath put all things. All what things? That government list there in verse. By the way, every other name that is named is a component of the government. That's going to be the big piece of the pie. What is, it, what is required for you to go to heaven? So, cross. Trust in Calvary, Right? You know, there's nothing in there that says you've got to understand right division or sound doctrine. You want to go to heaven, all you've got to do is trust Jesus Christ and his activity at Calvary. Well, if you don't come to understand the knowledge of the truth, you begin to kind of not enjoy all that you have in Christ. See? So the other, other name that is named describes... All of the other governmental positions as they go down the list. You understand that. Go look at the city government. Just look at it. The library is part of the city government. So you have librarians. Then you have assistant librarians. And then you have pages, people who run and do. Then you have janitors. It's all part of what, though? Government, the system, the structure. So instead of listing all that out, you know what Paul says? Every other name that's named. By the way, the Holy Spirit caused Paul to write that. So I'm going to believe the Holy Spirit, okay? I'll believe Paul here. 122. And hath put all things, all of that government, under his feet. Well, how did they get under his feet? Well, he's been promoted far above all. And gave him to be the head over all things, again, that governmental structure, to who? To the church. They are all under his authority. 
and, and, he, and they are there, uh, and he is to be head, head over all to who? To the church. It's for our advantage that God has made him head over all the government. Why? Because we are where? In him. And he, verse 23, which is the body, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. He's going to use us to fill up all of the positions in heavenly places in the ages to come. Now come back to 610 and let's finish. And I took five minutes back I gave you last week. Okay? 610. When Paul gets down to the end here, he says, here's what spirit-filled life looks like. Oh, by the way, there's a warfare coming. You can take Ephesians and break it up into two sections. You've got the issue of doctrine, first three chapters, and then the issue of duty, chapter 4 and 5. Okay? Then you can go in and calling and conduct and blessings and behavior. But you know what happens? We've got a warfare, <laughs> and we've got, we got a battle, and we've got a contest out there. And you know what he says? He says, hey, you know what? Finally, my brethren... Be strong. Let's remember who we are in Christ. Brings us back to the doctrine of, of who we are. And in the power of His might. And let's remember that sound doctrine and the impact it's designed to have on your life. You grasp the plan of glory. It will change how you live your life. You begin to grasp what the plan of the Father of glory has, it'll impact your life. You don't have to know every little detail. You just got to get that big picture. Paul comes in and he says, you know what? Our strength is in Calvary and who we are in Christ. And we've been made a participant of the ultimate glory plan. And when the Father says it, guess what's going to happen? It's going to be done. Go live who you are in Christ. Have it impact you. Learn that. And then have it impact the details of life. Because when it does that, then when the adversary attacks with those tricks and the fiery darts and all of that, you know what you already have on? The armor. It's already on. It's fascinating when Paul talks about the armor. He doesn't say go put it on. He says, you're all ready to have it on. Wherefore, take unto you the arm. You already got it on. And then you can sit there and say, bring it on. And let's go. Okay? All right. Dear Holy Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word, for the truth, and the time we can spend in it, the opportunity we have to study it together. And we pray that it would be instructive in our hearts and, to our, and impact our daily lives to bring glory and honor to you. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, we'll stand, be dismissed with the...